Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is all about telling anecdotes in English. Anecdotes are little stories about our experiences that we share while socialising. It's important to have a few anecdotes of your own and to know how to tell them properly. In this episode, I'm going to give you some advice for how to tell an anecdote, and then you're going to listen to some true anecdotes told by members of my family that I recorded yesterday evening during dinner. This episode is sponsored by italki. Speaking practice is very important in developing natural, fluent English, and this is now really easy to achieve because with italki, you can find plenty of native speakers and teachers to talk to, you can set your own schedule, and you don't even need to leave the house. You can, all, you can do all of it from the comfort of your own home. If you want to practice telling your anecdotes, do it in conversation on italki. They have loads of friendly and experienced teachers who are ready to help you learn English your way. Go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk to get started and to get a voucher worth 100 italki credits when you buy some lessons. Okay, right, so let's now get started and here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing? Um, now, I'm at my parents' house for a few days at the moment. Uh, my brother and I are just taking a couple of days off and spending some time here doing the usual things like enjoying the fresh air, because they actually have fresh air here, because my parents don't live in London or in a big city. So it's nice to get some actual fresh air for a change. Um, and, you know, we've been talking to my parents and generally taking advantage of things like my mum's cooking. Um, and it's been very nice. Yesterday evening, we were eating dessert at the end of dinner and we all started talking about anecdotes. I don't really remember how this came up in the conversation, but we just sort of started talking about anecdotes. And I think I then asked everyone um, a question. I said, do you have any anecdotes? Because I love to hear people's stories. I love anecdotes. And so I asked them to think of an anecdote that they'd told before. Um, and uh, we were about to start sharing our stories when I realised that it might be a good idea to record the talking for this podcast. Um, so um, I quickly got my audio recorder and then recorded them telling those anecdotes. Each one is about five minutes long and you're going to hear them in this episode. Uh, but before we listen to their little stories, let's first consider anecdotes and how important they are in English. And also um, just how you should tell anecdotes, like what are some of the best ways to create good little stories that you might tell in conversation. Um, just before we do that, in fact, let me just mention that um, I did give some advice about anecdotes on the podcast before. I did an episode which was called Telling Anecdotes, and that was um, episode number 44. So that's quite a long time ago. I have talked about this before. You can go back into the archives and find episode 44. And in that episode, um, I gave some advice for anecdotes, and then we listened to a couple of funny stories. Um, now, this episode that you're listening to now develops the ideas that I talked about in episode 44. Hopefully, this one is going to bring a bit more depth to the subject, and also you'll hear some new anecdotes. Um, so, let's start by just defining anecdotes, and then talking about why they're important in your English. 
Um, So the Collins Online Dictionary defines an anecdote as a short, usually amusing account of an incident, especially a personal or biographical one. So essentially, anecdotes are little true stories about ourselves. Um, We are usually the protagonists in our anecdotes, so it's usually told in the first person, and they're usually told in informal social situations. Sometimes there are moments in our social interactions when we just start sharing little stories about things that have happened to us in our lives. This might happen at a dinner or something, or when you're just generally spending some extended time with other people. Anecdotes are a really common part of the way that we socialise in English. They allow us to entertain the people around us while letting them know a little bit more about us personally. Now, both of those things, entertaining people and letting them know about us, both of those things are vital in my opinion. If you're trying to build a relationship with people, it's important to both entertain them and also share some personal information with them. First of all, entertaining the people around you is important because it just makes them feel good. And if you can make people feel good, then they're much more likely to trust you, to give something to you in return. Um, And also, it's just good to entertain the people around you. It's fun and enjoyable to hear about other people's experiences. And so, you know, you need to develop some good storytelling skills or at least uh, work out some anecdotes about things that have happened to you and just practice saying them a few times. So that's first of all, just for the for the sake of being entertaining with the people around you, but also giving away some personal information is a good way of encouraging other people to do the same thing. And that's how you build trust. For example, um, well, okay, for building a relationship, you can do two things, right? You can ask questions about people. We're often told this when you're networking or when you're making small talk, that the way that you uh, build the relationship in that situation is to ask lots of questions. You kind of interview the person you're talking to. Um, And the other thing, in my opinion, is that you should be prepared to give away details about yourself. Be prepared to give away some personal details. Um, And anecdotes help you to achieve the second one in a fun way. All right. So how do you tell an anecdote in English? Let me now go through 10 tips for telling anecdotes. Okay. Um, And you're going to find all of this stuff written on the page for this episode. So if you want to go back and actually read this in more detail, uh, or just uh, kind of read while you're listening, um, or whatever you want to do, you can find most of the things I'm saying here written on the page for this episode. Okay, so 10 tips for telling anecdotes. Number one, um, you you need to find the right moment. Usually, um, anecdotes take place in informal anecdote sharing sessions. Don't just jam your story into a conversation. It should add something to the subject of the conversation. For example, you might be sharing traveling stories or stories about weird people that you've met or university stories or dangerous experiences or something like that. Um, So if if people are generally telling little stories about themselves, then that's when it's appropriate to add your story too. Um, Don't just throw your story in unrelated. It has to be connected to what's actually happening. Uh, Maybe you're talking about a particular subject and your anecdote will add something to that conversation. For example, you might be talking about uh, the difficulty of finding accommodation in your town. And you could tell the story of the crazy landlord that you used to have or something like that. So the point is that your story should add something to the general conversation. It's not just your, your magical moment. It's not just your moment to shine. It should be 
that you're adding a point to the conversation that everyone is having. Um, Perhaps someone else has just told a story and you've got one that relates to it. Maybe you can add something to what the other person said or you've got a similar story that expresses a similar idea. That might be a good moment to tell your anecdote. Now, um, all of those things I've just mentioned are good at, uh, moments to introduce your anecdote. Remember that you should only tell your story if it relates to the conversation that you're already having um, or if it's if it's a way of kind of uh, introducing a, a related idea. That's the first thing. Second thing, keep it short. Keep it short, right? And in fact, keep it short and simple. Um, don't get stuck in the details too much. It's a, it's, a, it's a common mistake that people make when they're telling anecdotes is that they go on and on and on too long and they get caught up in the details. Don't get stuck in the details. You need to just focus on the, the bare minimum, really. Um, focus on the impact of the story. That's the thing that should drive your narrative. Now, what emotion are you attempting to elicit in people? What's the feeling that you're trying to get across? Because usually your, your story will communicate some sort of feeling Okay, identify exactly what that feeling is because that's what's going to direct the way that you tell your story. For example, are you expressing frustration or fear or danger or humor? Uh, Focus on communicating that feeling and try not to let the details get in the way of it. Okay, Um, you need to communicate that feeling by explaining the right events. The best anecdotes allow the listeners to discover the same feelings as you did when you felt them. So describe the events and aspects of the situation that made you feel that way. Okay, don't get caught up in the details. Keep it pretty short and simple and just focus on expressing the feelings that you had at the time. Okay, and by the way, I think that you you get those feelings across not by necessarily explaining how you felt, but just focusing on the events um, that caused you to feel that way. And if you can explain the events in the right order, then often the people listening will experience it in the same way that you did. Okay. Um, keep it pretty short and simple. And if you're getting stuck in the details, when, when people are getting stuck in the details in this kind of situation, they always say the word anyway, in order to move on to the main parts of the story. So that, that's really common. And listen out for that when you're listening to other people's anecdotes in English. Um, often you do get stuck in the details and you can just go anyway and then move into the, the main part of the story. So watch out for the word anyway. It's quite useful for uh, getting, getting yourself out of the details. Point three is that you should use the right narrative tenses. Okay, um, we usually tell anecdotes in the past. Most of the time, um, you're using past tenses when you're telling your anecdotes. So that, that means that you'll be using past simple, past continuous, and past perfect tenses. Okay. Now, I have done episodes on this stuff before. Uh, notably, I did one called um, uh, Narrative Tenses Mystery Story. I can't remember what number that is now. I'm just checking it on the internet. You've heard of the internet, right? It's very useful in this kind of situation. Narrative tenses, mystery, story. I think if you just Google that, you'll find my uh, the page. Yeah, it's episode number 29, and it's called Mystery Story, Narrative Tenses in English. Um, so you could go back and listen to that if you wanted more details about um, using narrative tenses. But um, let me just give you um, a really quick and simple explanation of how you use 
past simple, past continuous, and past perfect uh, when you're telling stories. So let's start with past simple. Now, this is the tense that you use to explain the main actions in the principal parts of the story. And we just use it to give a sequence. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's just one event after the other in a sequence. For example, I saw a spaceship, I stopped my car, the spaceship flew above me, all the objects in my car started floating, I saw a bright flash of light, then I woke up lying down in the forest with a pain in my backside. Okay, uh, so there you can see it's just past simple, past simple, past simple. And past simple is usually used for short actions that happen one after the other. I saw a spaceship, I stopped my car, the spaceship flew above me, all the objects in my car started floating, I saw a bright flash of light, then I woke up lying down uh, in the forest with a pain in my backside. Um, all right, so... Uh, past simple, usually used for short actions that happen one after the other. I'm using the example of a UFO story. Now, obviously, anecdotes should usually be true, okay? That they're, uh, they're not normally made up fiction. In this case, I'm just using this, the example of a UFO abduction just because it's amusing to me, all right? Um, and that's just what I thought of when I was planning this. Um, so, past continuous, uh, that's obviously uh, the auxiliary verb was or were and then an ing form. Okay, I was walking, he was going, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, was or were and, a, and an ing form. So past continuous, we use this to explain the situation at the time uh, that the main events happened. So it's for context. It sets the situation, it sets the scene. For example, I was driving my car through the countryside late one night when I saw something strange. So I was driving in my car through the countryside. That's the situation, isn't it? That's the general situation that happened. Uh, sorry, that was the general situation at the time uh, when the main events then happened. Okay, so it's used to set the scene. I was walking down the street when suddenly, you know, I saw a UFO. Obviously, you don't say that story every day, but you know what I mean. I was walking down the street when something happened. You know, this happened when I was living in uh, when I was living in Botswana. I w when I was living in Botswana, you know. Um, okay, so um, so that's for the context. Also, past continuous is used for moment by moment action, and it's when two things happen at the same time. Past continuous is used for the longer action, uh, and then the the the, the shorter action. Uh, is uh, past simple, okay? So uh, the longer action starts, it's then interrupted by a shorter past simple action, and then it may or may not continue. For example, I was trying to remember where I was when these guys in black suits turned up and started asking me questions. Okay, so I was trying to remember where I was. That's past continuous. You can see that's the, that's the longer action. When these guys in black suits turned up and started asking me questions, okay? Um, okay, or, you know, it could be something like, um, I was um, I was trying, you know, I, I, um, I picked up my mobile phone and I was trying to dial a number when the phone exploded in my hands. Um, continuing this the story of this ridiculous alien abduction here. Um, so that's past continuous, all right? And then we've got past perfect. And this one is for giving backstory, 
Okay, it gives background story. So we use past perfect to talk about events that happened before the main events of the story. Now, if you think about it, your story is set in the past, isn't it? The main events in the story happen in the past. We use past perfect to describe the things that happened before the main events. Okay, for example, I told the guys that I'd just been camping in the forest and that I'd got up in the night to go to the toilet and I'd lost my tent. And that's why I was sleeping outside like that. I told them I hadn't seen any aliens or anything like that. Okay, so you can see that past perfect there is had. It's always had, I had, you had, we had, they had, she had, it had, and so on. It's always had and then a past participle. Okay, for example, I told the guys that I'd just been camping. That's actually past perfect continuous. I had just been camping in the forest and that I'd got up in the night to go to the toilet and then I'd lost my tent. I told them that I'd lost my tent and that's why I was sleeping outside. I told them that I hadn't seen any aliens or anything like that. So the principal moments of the story here are I told them Okay, this is the sort of main time. It's when I woke up in the forest and these guys in black suits came to ask me questions and I told them that I hadn't seen any aliens. So I hadn't seen actually happened before I told them. You see, that's why we use it. Now, um, past perfect is a difficult one to notice when you're listening to people, especially native speakers, right? It's hard to identify past perfect when people are talking, which might make you think that it doesn't really happen very often or that it's not used very much. It is used a lot, okay? It's, it's used a great deal. It's just a little bit difficult to notice. Um, and that's because of the, the auxiliary verb had. It's often contracted and it can be impossible to hear. Now, it's possible to identify past perfect because, um, because of the, the use of past participles. For example, I'd seen it before. I'd seen it before. Now, you can't really hear the I'd. You can't hear the d, the had, can you? It's not I had seen it before, but I'd seen it before. Can you hear that? I'd seen it before. So, um, it's difficult to identify it, but you know that it's past perfect because of the use of the past participle seen. I'd seen it before and I saw it before. Saw is past simple. I'd seen it is past perfect. Um, but when regular verbs are used, it can be almost invisible because obviously the, the past participle of a regular verb is just the same. It's the ed ending. For example, try to compare these two. Um, and can you identify which one is the past perfect and which one is the past simple? Okay, I'd finished and I finished. I'd finished and I finished. Can you hear the difference? It's quite difficult to notice. I'd finished and I finished. The first one is past perfect. I'd finished. I'd finished. I finished and I finished. Really, really similar. I'd finished. Now, with the first one, I'd finished. I guess there's like a few ways you could say that, right? There's the full version. I had finished. And then there's I had finished. You can hear that, right? I had finished. And then you got I'd finished. You can still hear it. And then, in really fluent speech, you'd hear, I'd finished. Hmm. And then, I finished. They sound really, really similar. Uh, sometimes, had is not completely contracted, but it might be pronounced using a weak form, which sounds a bit like had. Okay? For example, he had been there before. He had been there before. He'd been there before, or he had been there before. You can hear had. Um, it might also be part of a continuous form. 
For example, he had been he'd been talking to someone else, or he had been talking to someone else. All right, so uh, that's why past perfect is a tricky one. It's obviously not just difficult to use and to get it right, but also it can be difficult to, to identify it being used as well. But try and listen out for that. So there are the narrative tenses, past simple, past continuous, past perfect. Uh, past simple is the most common one. And you could probably just tell your story with that one on its own. But adding the other two will give your stories more depth, more complexity, and more range. So think about how you use these three tenses when you're describing events in the past. And by the way, if you're taking an exam, if you're taking an exam in English and you need to tell some sort of story uh, in the past, then you, the examiners will definitely be looking out for the way that you use these three tenses in combination to construct a proper story. So that's point three about narrative tenses. Let's move on to point four. Um, and point four is simply this. Just tell us how you felt, okay? Um, that's pretty simple. Just give us some emotional content in your story. You need to try and get across to us how you felt. Now, one thing that people often say about telling stories or giving presentations is this, and I think it's really useful and really important, and that's the idea that you shouldn't, don't tell us, show us. It's a little difficult to get your head around that the first time you hear it, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense and the more it's true, okay? Don't just tell us, show us, okay? So, for example, if you're trying to uh, tell a scary story, um, don't just tell us how you felt. Don't say, I felt really scared. I felt really frightened. But you need to show us why you felt scared or frightened. So, you need to think about using verbs and describing events and actions that will demonstrate why it was scary or exciting rather than just telling us that you felt scared. Because if you just tell people you feel scared, then they'd basically just have to believe you. You know, they're just going to have to trust you that it was scary. But if you show them exactly why it was scary, then that's going to be a lot more effective because they're going to feel the fear directly, you see. Um, okay, so, you know, just try to focus on the events that were scary, not necessarily just describing how you felt. You should tell us how you felt too, but also try to focus on getting the events right uh, so that the audience discovers the, the situation in the same way that you did. Um, number five is use direct speech in your anecdotes. Don't worry about using reported speech. It's just too complicated. Just use direct quotes, okay? And that's actually really good for telling a story. Just quote what people say, um, use their voices. It can be really entertaining to change your voice slightly when you're talking as someone else. So use direct speech. Um, for example, he said, what are you doing here? Okay. And I said, I'm just camping. And they both said, well, where's your tent? And I said, it got stolen in the night or I lost it. I can't remember. I don't think they believed me, but they told me to be careful and to go home. All right. So instead of saying, uh, he, 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 he asked me what I was doing there and I told him that I was just camping and then they both uh, they, they, they both uh, asked me where my tent was. That kind of reported speech is all grammatically correct and so on and it's probably more common in written English um, but or, or maybe if in your in your in a report that you're writing or something for work but in this kind of storytelling you need to get straight to the point and make it really direct so 
don't worry about reported speech, just use direct quotes. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm just camping. And they both said, where's your tent then? And I said, oh, uh, it got stolen in the night or I lost it. I can't remember, you know. So just go straight in with a direct speech. And, you know, you might change your voice a little bit because that could be very entertaining. I didn't change my voice very much there. But um, um, nevertheless, it's still, uh, I think it's still a good point. Number six, um, introduce your story with a quick sentence. For example, like, you know, it could be a quick sentence that relates to what's just been said. So if someone's just talked about an alien abduction, or if someone's, you're talking about aliens, then you could say something like, I got abducted by aliens once. Okay, now did you hear the intonation in that? I got abducted by aliens once. Or maybe I used to have a nightmare landlord. My landlord was a nightmare. And you actually, you're, you're actually emphasising I or my there, which is basically a signal to everyone that you're going to tell a little story. I got abducted by aliens once. Yeah. My landlord was a nightmare. And then everyone's expecting you to talk about your landlord. Or I saw a weird thing once. Yeah, it was really strange. And then you can tell your story. Or something like this. Ah, oh, that sounds like something that happened to me once. You hear that me is um, highlighted there. In, in the intonation. Oh, that sounds like something that happened to me once. And that's generally a sign that you've got a little story to tell. However, if people aren't really listening, you know, if, if, it, if this doesn't raise people's interest, then don't worry about it, okay? Uh, this might not, this just might not be the moment for your story. Also, I would say beware of people who only talk about themselves all the time. And I don't mean to suggest in this episode that you should always just be telling stories about yourselves. Uh, I think it's equally important to show interest in other people, ask other people questions, and also generally sort of make the right noises uh, and use the right kind of body language to show that you're interested in what other people have to say. In fact, really, in my opinion, Good social interactions are a kind of game of tennis where you, you, you hit the ball to them and then you, you know, you let them say their thing and you show lots of interest in them and you respond specifically to the things they're saying and you're essentially keeping the ball in the air between the two of you and you're keeping the game going. You're not just holding the ball. You know, you're knocking the ball back and forth. So that means asking questions, showing interest. And then when it's your time, when it's your turn, telling a story that is generous. You know, it's a generous story. It's generous because it's entertaining and it makes the person feel good. And it's generous because it gives away some 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 details about yourself. Not too much, obviously. Don't delve deep into your personal life. But you should be willing to uh, communicate, you know, something about yourself in your stories. Okay, so you can introduce your story with a quick sentence. I got abducted by aliens once, or I saw a weird thing once, or that sounds like something that happened to me once, or, oh, that reminds me of my landlord. Okay. Uh, point number seven, um, point number, did I say there were 10 items in this list? I did say there were 10. It's actually nine, but nine is better, isn't it? Nine is better. I, In my experience, in numbered lists, odd numbers uh, are almost always better than even numbers. I don't know why, but people like lists of three, five, seven, nine, I don't know why this is. So we can relax. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. This is actually nine point, a nine-point list, uh, which obviously is a lot more powerful and effective, isn't it? Yes. Um, so point number seven is, uh, is this. When someone has just told a little story, 
You should ask a few questions or respond to it in some way and show some appreciation of the anecdote. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Or, wow, I can't believe you got abducted by aliens. Obviously, the abduction by aliens thing is just nonsense. Your your stories really shouldn't be as, as fictional as that. But you should show some interest. Um, you should be kind of willing to play along with the person's anecdote and it makes you a good listener. So that one's not specifically about telling anecdotes, but responding to people's anecdotes. Um, Point eight, try to make it quite entertaining. If the story doesn't have much entertainment value, just keep it extra short. Now, you can exaggerate the story a little bit. You can exaggerate some of the things a little bit, but don't lie because that's just deceptive. Um, For example, don't just make up a clearly fictional story about being abducted by aliens, all right? That's not that's not appropriate. You know, write your alien story. Sure, go ahead and write it and send it to a newspaper or something um, for the fiction section. Uh, But obviously, don't just make up stupid lies. But you can exaggerate a little bit. In fact, that's okay. You know, your, your, your stories can be exaggerated for entertainment value, but not too much. So obviously, uh, your anecdote should be very much based on a true story, you know. Um, Repeating anecdotes a few times is quite common. In fact, people carry anecdotes with them through their lives and repeat them again and again. And uh, those anecdotes probably improve over time as you learn which bits are good and which bits are unnecessary and stuff like that. So you can repeat your anecdotes. You probably have a few experiences that you've described a few times in your language, and those are your anecdotes. Um, you know, identify the little stories that you have. Uh, if you think about it, I'm sure that you have little experiences that you've mentioned again and again with people, and so you can just identify those as your anecdotes. So if you've identified some anecdotes that you have in your first language, try converting them into English. And it's okay to practice those anecdotes a few times because you're learning the language, you know. I think it's a good strategy to try and create, you know, a few little anecdotes that you have in English so that you know exactly how to say them. You've you've prepared them already um, um, and, you know, you've got the tenses right and all the vocab right and everything like that. So think about experiences that you've had in your life. How would you describe them fairly quickly in conversation, focusing on the main events, Uh, demonstrating how they made you feel at that time. I think it's a good idea to prepare a few anecdotes, but then learn how to tell them naturally. Don't just go into robotic anecdote mode. Remember that, you know, it should be a contribution to a a larger conversation, not just your five-minute stand-up comedy routine. Um, And then um, point number nine, you should show us when the story is finished. Um, Typically, we might say, just a simple line just to show us that it's finished. For example, you might say, so that's what happened, or and that's it, or even, so that's my alien abduction story. That's my story, you know? And it's nice if your anecdote can end with a funny line or a punch line, you know, a line that makes everyone laugh at the end, but that's quite difficult to achieve. And, you know, don't try and you know, force that kind of thing. It should just happen fairly naturally. It might also be good to say what you've learned from your experience. Okay, so there you go. Nine points, not ten, about uh, how to tell anecdotes in English. Um, So now, now that we've been through all of that, let's let's listen to my family's anecdotes 
shall we? And uh, just as a reminder, I recorded these yesterday evening. We were having dinner. We were sitting around. It was all very nice. We'd been chatting during dinner and stuff, and the dessert was on the table. We were eating strawberries and cream, um, which is a fairly typical English summer uh, dessert. So we're having really nice strawberries and cream. You can hear in the recording the sounds of spoons and or knives hitting plates in that kind of tinkling sound of the cutlery in the background. Um, and um, we were just talking and we started sharing anecdotes and um, I decided that I'd record them. So uh, by coincidence, all of these anecdotes, um, and you're going to hear four, one from my mum, one from my brother, one from my dad, and then one from me at the end. Uh, by coincidence, all of these anecdotes relate to the meeting of strange people. So we ended up talking about meeting strange people. And most of the anecdotes involve some element of danger as well. Certainly in the case of the boys' stories and embarrassment in in my mum's story. So I'd like you to now imagine that you're at the dinner table with my mum, my dad and my brother. And as you listen to these little anecdotes, think about the things that I've just mentioned and try to notice them, okay? Think about those nine points, try to notice them. Now, um, the, the anecdotes that I recorded, you know, they weren't planned in advance um, and it, it was a fairly sort of impromptu situation. So, these might not be the best anecdotes in the world. These are just fairly average little stories. So even though I've been through nine points about how to tell a really great anecdote, you know, you can judge these anecdotes based on the, that list if you like. They might not be the best in the world, but they're still pretty strong uh, uh, anecdotes, I think. So you could listen to this episode a few times, try to notice different things that I've mentioned about telling anecdotes in my parents' and my brother's stories. Um, and which anecdote do you think is the best? Why is it a good one? Um, just to give you a bit of focus, here are some key points for you to watch out for. So first of all, watch out for the narrative tenses used. In particular, can you hear when past perfect is used? Okay, now it's only used in, I think, three out of out of the four stories. So there's one story that doesn't actually use any past perfect at all. So try and identify the past perfect when you hear it. Also, watch out for past continuous to set the scene. Um, and um, I don't remember, but you can identify, is past continuous used in every single story? Let's see. Also, watch out for when somebody says anyway, in order to avoid getting caught up in the details. So watch out for the word anyway. Um, and uh, what's the main feeling that the person is trying to communicate? Is it danger? Is it embarrassment? Is it weirdness or something? And how does the person ex express that feeling? Do they just tell us exactly how they felt? Or do they sort of demonstrate or show us how they felt by describing the events in the right way? Um, how does each anecdote end? And also, um, do you notice any new vocabulary in these stories? Vocab that... Uh, that might be good uh, vocab for you to pick up, all right? Now, I will let you listen to the anecdotes and then I'll deal with some vocabulary after each one and make any other points necessary afterwards. And we're going to start, first of all, with uh, my mum's anecdote, which is about meeting the king of Tonga. Um, and, and here it is. By the way, Tonga, or Tonga, is a Polynesian kingdom of more than 170 islands, uh, many of those islands uninhabited. So it's a sort of an island nation uh, in, uh, in Polynesia. And it's got, a, it's got a king as well. And this is my mum's story about when she met the king of Tonga. All right, so can you tell us your anecdote then, mum? It's going to fall very flat because it's not going to be what everyone thinks. But anyway... It's been built up now, hasn't it? 
in about 1972-73 when we worked at the BBC in Birmingham, um, the King of Tonga came on to Midlands today to talk about his stamps that he had for his country. And uh, Tonga was very big in stamps and they uh, always used to produce beautiful stamps. Anyway, he came to the programme, that's why he came to talk. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, because it was the King of Tonga and it was very special, they had a sort of reception up in the bar. And Rick was invited because he was something like the producer or I mean, he was something. I was nothing to do with it. I just was a hanger-on. And so I sort of hung on and went into the reception, even though I hadn't been invited. And I was kind of skulking in the corner, thinking I'm not supposed to be here. And there was the King of Tonga sitting on his two chairs, because he had to sit on two chairs, because he was too big for one, (laughs) and talking to people, uh, having an audience. And um, at some point, Stan Yap, who was the... What was he, Mayor of Birmingham or the chairman of the council or something like that? He was something big in Birmingham. He had been talking to us and he then went over to talk to the King of Tonga and at at some point he said um, very loudly, um, oh no, he called me over, that's right, he beckoned to me and I went over and he said, "Um, Your Highness, can I introduce Mrs Thompson? (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) I had to sit down next to the King of Tonga and talk to him very politely. And as far as I can remember, there was not much said. Something like I said, oh, I like your stamps. And he went, oh, yes, thank you very much. And that was about it. And, but I felt, I, felt, I felt really, really embarrassed because I wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. And there I was in the, you know... The, Top table. The, yeah, exactly. And everybody looking at me and thinking, what's she doing there? And that's really the end of the anecdote. Why were you introduced to him? Because Stan, Stan Yap decided, was obviously bored talking to him, saw me and decided he would introduce me to... The King of Tonga was eyeing her up, Patrick. The King of Tonga was noticing this leggy girl in the background and thought he'd, she'd be much more interesting than talking to the leader of the Birmingham City Council. And, uh, indeed, I think he enjoyed the encounter. <laughs> So I get the impression he wasn't that interesting. Well, he couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Tongalese or whatever it is they speak in Tonga. So it was just very much smiling and that kind of thing. All right. Great. Not much good, is it, Luke? Oh, it's not bad. Later on, the King of Tonga, who was on a royal visit, did actually um, go to London and meet the Queen. No, that wasn't there. Oh, wow. And afterwards he's like, well, it wasn't as good as meeting Mrs. Mrs. Thompson. Indeed. Well, thanks for your anecdote, Mum. Okay, so that was my mum's anecdote. Um, So you noticed there, you might have noticed that some past perfect was used to explain uh, what the king had been doing before my mum spoke to him or before my mum arrived. So there was a bit of past perfect there. Um, Some vocabulary as well, and I'm going to fly through this pretty quickly. Um, So here's some vocabulary. First of all, you heard uh, my mum say, it's going to fall very flat. So... uh, to fall flat, this means that it's going to fail to have the intended effect. For example, if a joke falls flat, it doesn't make anyone laugh. If a story falls flat, then it's not impressive or amusing, okay? The next uh, phrase that you heard there was, it's been built up too much. And we say this when people's expectations have been raised too much. 
Um, to build something up means to raise people's expectations of something. Uh, now, you would say this before telling a joke if you feel like everyone's expectations have been raised too high. For example, what's this Russian joke? I've heard you talking about it a lot, so it must be amazing. And then you'd say, well, it's look, it's been built up too much now. So it's just going to fall flat if I if I tell it. Or, have you seen the new Spielberg film, Bridge of Spies? Oh my God, it's amazing. And you'd say, don't, don't build it up too much. If you build it up too much, it'll just be a disappointment. So, you know, this story is going to fall flat because it's been built up too much. All right. So uh, you also heard the expression, I was nothing to do with it. And if you uh, if you are nothing to do with something or if you have nothing to do with something, it means that you're not involved or connected uh, to something uh, at all. Uh, for example, Mr. Thompson, I want to talk to you about the bank robbery that occurred in the town centre last year. And you say, uh, bank robbery? Oh, I had nothing to do with it, officer, I promise. Or simply, you know, there was a royal visit happening, but I had nothing to do with it. I was just there to pick up my husband. Uh, next one, I was just a hanger on. A hanger-on is someone who just hangs on. This is someone who is nothing to do with what's happening, but they just hang around. For example, musicians often have hangers-on. These are people who just hang around the band, even though they're not contributing to the show at all. They're just hanging on because it's cool or fun to be with the band. That's uh, to be a hanger-on. And then my mum said, I was just skulking in the corner. To skulk means to kind of hide or keep out of sight, often in a slightly cowardly way. So she was just skulking, like kind of hiding in the corner because she had nothing to do with what was going on. Um, so um, next one, she said, he beckoned to me to beckon to someone, B-E-C-K-O-N-E-D, not Beckham, not David Beckham. No, beckon, B-E-C-K-O-N-E-D. He beckoned to me. To beckon to someone is to wave someone over to you with your hand. It's like to sort of wave someone towards you. It's a motion. It's to do a motion with your hand, which encourages someone to come to talk to you. Okay. And then finally, my dad said that he was eyeing her up all evening. To eye someone up. Eye like the eyes that you used to see with. Uh, this means to look at someone because you fancy them or to look at someone with sexual interest. For example, the king of Tonga was eyeing up my mum all evening. All right, so that's my mum's story about um, about meeting the king of Tonga. Remember, I want you to tell me which um, anecdote you, f you find the best. And we're going to move straight on now uh, to hear my brother's anecdote. And this one is called the Hastings story. Hastings is a town uh, on the south coast of England. And so here's my brother's story. Naturally, it involves lots of references to skateboarding. Um, all right then. So remember those questions. Identify narrative tenses uh, when someone says anyway and all the other things. I'll now let you listen to my brother's story. And here it is. No good. Delete it. Yeah. Okay. I went... I went to Hastings, which is a seaside town in England, with some friends for a skate jam, which is a skate competition, skateboarding competition. And we kind of checked out the new skate park, which is brilliant, huge concrete skate park they just built there. Um, and we skated all day and watched the comp and met a few people, met some locals who were really cool. And they invited us to uh, their party later at another skate park, which is in a church hall. It's actually in a church as well. Brilliant skate park. It ramps in the church. Um, they had a hog roast with a whole hog on a uh, spit. Pig roast, hog roast. 
So there was a huge barbecue. It was an amazing hospitality. Free drinks, free rum and cokes, free beer. Just incredible party place, really. You wouldn't expect it. And the locals were really cool. They have a really good scene, as it's known, uh, skate scene. They've got their own skate shop. They've got this ramp in a church. We met all the locals, had a good time. Then we went on from there to a bar where there was bands playing. And I was quite into checking out the bands because they were really good. There was a kind of Black Sabbath-ish kind of heavy rock band um, whose name I can't quite remember. It may come back to me. Um, and anyway, we had too good a time, basically, and I kind of found myself at two in the morning outside this club, having just been kicked out for being a bit too drunk, not in a Larry way, just I think I was standing there sort of swaying from side to side next to the bar. Okay. And maybe it was closing time. I honestly don't really remember. Where, where, but is, the next, where is Hazel? It's south coast. So it's, it's far from London, is it? Yeah, it's not walking distance, how put far, it like that. Miles. 60 miles. Um so that my friends I was with I phoned them and they wouldn't pick up their phone they were obviously asleep or we were going to sleep in the van by the way I forgot to point this out I'm going to sleep in my mate's van they were all asleep already or they'd lost their phone or something so I couldn't get through to them and I wandered off I didn't know where the van was and I was soon lost in Hastings drunk out of my mind at two in the morning um, so I wandered off and I thought, what am I going to do? I can either stay up all night or I can sleep somewhere. So I walked, wandered into a sort of university campus and thought, this looks familiar. It looks a bit like Aston campus. I'm sure I can find a hedge to sleep in here. So I did. I s- lay down in a hedge and soon got very cold. Couldn't sleep. It was sort of autumn time, I think. It was, it was warm during the day, but obviously at night time it gets very, very cold. So I was like, this isn't going to work. I tried for the phone again. By this time, the batteries had run out on my friend's phone. So nothing, no contact at all with friends. That, they just didn't want to <clears> see you <throat> switch off. They switched their phone off. James. You're interrupting the story and they can't hear you anyway. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to go back, find some skaters because the skateboarding community is one big happy family and uh, sleep on someone's floor. So I went to the nearest bar and I started rolled myself a cigarette and i said to the bloke next to me do you want a fag gave him a cigarette cigarette in british english yes we're not in america and um i kind of subtly introduced the conversation the fact that i didn't have anywhere to sleep and he said oh you can sleep at mine way too quickly but um as it was i had to take it i had to take the offer (laughs) So we went back to his, and I thought he was with a group of mates. Nope, turned out he was on his own, just out in a bar at two in the morning on his own. So I went back to his thinking, he's, I'm bigger than him, I could, I could take him. If he tries anything, you know, I'll just kill him. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we went back to his, and uh, his flat seemed fairly normal. Um, we kind of crashed out, and he was next to me on the chair, which I thought was a bit weird. He didn't go to bed. And I started looking around, and everything in the flat, sort of, sort of all the shelves and furniture and stuff, or not the furniture, the shelves and the the yeah. cupboards and stuff, were with sort of grey, shiny material. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said, oh, it's, I've painted everything in hammerite. It's a sort of hammer, hammered metal effect finish paint. Metallic, Metallic effect paint, which gives a sort of beaten metal finish, finish right. even though it's just paint. Yeah. And I kind of thought that was another sort of red flag, you know, another dodgy sign. Anyway, 
I passed out on his sofa and I woke up in the morning with my phone going and him next to me on the chair next to me also asleep or coming round. Picked up the phone and it was my mate James. He'd found his phone or woken up, dug his phone out of the bottom of the van, plugged it in, recharged it, realised I wasn't there, phoned me. And I asked this guy, where am I? And he said, so-and-so street. And James said, actually, I'm on that street now. I'm on the corner. So I was like, mate, thanks, and just ran out of the door, <laughs> ran into the van, and drove home. Never saw him again. I lived to tell the tale. Didn't die. Didn't get interfered with or anything. And uh, that's the story. Did he, did he touch you? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> The end. He literally watched me while I slept, I think. That's probably the worst thing that happened. It's a bit weird that he slept in the chair next to you. Well, maybe he didn't trust me. Maybe he thought I was going to steal all the stuff out, all this hammerited <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you can link to hammerite.com or something on this if people want to know what hammerite is. It's just a weird detail, but it just kind of gives you a bit of background to this guy's character. Don't know what his name was. Don't remember anything about him. So there you go. That's my Hastings story. All right, nice one. <laughs> oh God, James! This was years ago. Mum, what's your what's your, what, uh, you don't want to no. give us your response to that story? My response is, <gasps> yeah, okay. Okay, so that was my brother's story about uh, meeting a weird guy in Hastings. Um, one thing to note there about narrative tenses is that he just used past simple. I think the entire story was told only using the past simple tense. And I actually think it was a really good story, even though um, it was pretty simply told. Maybe that's why it was a good story. I, I think one of the best things about it was the was the fact that uh, he, he showed us how it was strange rather than just telling us it was strange. You know, like he explained the events in the right sequence, uh, which led us to discover how actually that was a pretty weird and possibly slightly dangerous situation to find yourself in. And also certain little details showed us that this guy was a bit strange and possibly a little bit odd, you know? Um, Vocabulary. So he mentioned a skate park. A skate park is just a a place designed for skateboarding. He said the ramp is in the church. So a ramp is also another thing for skateboarding. It's that thing that has sloped sides so skaters can go up and down on it. That's a ramp. Um, He also mentioned a hog on a spit. A hog is is a pig and a spit is a stick that goes through the pig suspending it above a fire. So it's like a way of cooking a pig on a spit, okay? He said, we had too good a time. We had too good a time. Um, So now, first of all, you could say we had a good time, right? We had a good time. But if you want to add the word too, meaning it was too much, then you need to say it like this. We had too good a time, not we had a too good time. So we don't say we had a too good time, but we had too good a time. And this structure works in in general, okay? For example, it was too big a pizza for me to eat, or it was too long a journey to make at that time of night, all right? Um, Another one was, I was too drunk, not in a leery way. So uh, the word here is leery, okay? And to be leery means to be aggressive and antisocial. And it happens when people, when some people get drunk, they get leery. You know, like to get leery. Um, And he also said, I'm bigger than him. I can take him. I can take him. Now, to take someone here means to beat someone in a fight. 
Okay, I can take him. Um, we crashed out. To crash out uh, means to fall asleep, usually quickly, and often in a place where you don't usually fall asleep. So if you've been to the pub and you've had a few beers, you might come back and crash out on the sofa, for example. Um, now, uh, he described that this guy had painted everything in his house in hammerite. And hammerite, as my brother described, is a kind of metallic paint. And you can actually go to hammerite.co.uk if you want to find out more. Um, and then he said he was coming round. To come round means to wake up or to come back to consciousness. So after you've been asleep, you might come round, meaning wake up. Um, uh, and my brother said, I didn't get interfered with. To interfere with someone could mean to touch them in a sexual manner. So my brother didn't get interfered with by this creepy guy. So that's my brother's anecdote. And we're going to move straight on to my dad's anecdote now, which is about hitchhiking in Italy. So this is an anecdote from Rick Thompson. Here it is. Anecdote from dad. Let me take you back. Take you back to 1966. Um, when with my uh, big brother, Peter, um, I was uh, doing the thing we used to do in those days, hitchhiking across Europe. Um, and we, we both happened to have guitars and we could, you know, play a few tunes and sing together quite well. So we, we took our guitars in the hope that if we ran out of money, uh, we could you know, earn a bit of money that way. And so we were very lucky. We, we, we got some very good lifts hitchhiking. In those days, you just stood by the side of the road. We used to wear kind of sailor hats and with our guitars and look cheerful and not look in any way threatening. And, um, yeah, we got, we got quite a few good lifts. We got down to the south coast of Britain. We got across on a ferry. We got into France. We got across Germany. We got a terrific lift in a Mercedes across Germany and, and so on and so on. Then we got to Italy and we wanted to get down to the south of Italy so that we could get to Greece, across on the ferry. So um, there we were in the heat uh, and we'd been waiting a long, long, long time at this road junction in the heat. And finally this, this car pulled up with a guy in it who was Italian and he was a big man and he had a hairy chest and he was very Italian and he said where are you going and we said we want to get down to Barry you know where the ferry is and we'll take us go far as he said okay I'll take you to Matt uh, take you to Taranto I live in Taranto and he was he spoke broken English and he explained that he used to spend the summertime uh, taxi driving for the tourists he wasn't really a taxi driver, but he, he, would, he would use the tourist season to make some money before he went back to Taranto. What he did there, I'm not sure. The car was a very rough old car, and uh, he didn't look like a taxi driver, and it clearly wasn't a taxi, so he was a kind of slightly dodgy character. Anyway, he took a long way, all the way down to Taranto, and then it broke down. And so we had to get out and we had to push his car and then he had to get some guy to help him and the car started again and so we continued. And so when we got to Taranto, it was getting quite late in the evening and we said, thank you very much. And he said, no, no, I'd take you to Bali, which was a long way. He changed his mind. He, he'd take us on. He was, he'd, he'd spent all this time in Rome away from his wife and family who lived in Taranto and he, here we were in Taranto and he wasn't going to stop in Taranto he was going to take us all the way down to Barry and then come again well you know and my brother who is very naive said oh what a nice man and I said 
in broken English because I didn't want the guy to understand. I said, you know, things like, uh, methinks this uh, gentleman may not be exactly what he seemeth. And things like that. And uh, I was getting really quite worried. Why would he take us all the way down to Bowery for absolutely no reason? And uh, we were looking for the youth hostel there, which we knew was there. And he took us into a back street and then into a darker back street. And then he stopped. And then he demanded 10,000 lira. Ooh. Taxi fare, which was quite a lot of money. And uh, we said, no way. Big argument. People started coming out of the houses and everything else in this dark street. Uh, a lot of, you know, uh, arguments going on. And uh, we said, no way. And, and um, we started to win the argument because the people came out the streets. He was saying something. We said, we are autostoppers. He wants 10,000 lira. And they kind of turned on him and said, what are you doing? Yeah. And um, so he then grabbed my brother's guitar. Ooh. He grabbed it to his hairy chest. He jumped into his car and he started driving away with it. Oh. Right? And I ran alongside and I managed to jump in and grab the keys from the ignition. <laughs> All right? Which stopped the car. And then I jumped out the car and then dangled the keys over a grating. What's, that? What's a grating? Uh, that's a drain in the side of the road. And he was threatening to drop his car keys into the drain if he didn't, you know... Move, put the guitar against the wall over there, all right, which he did. did you, was this like a Hollywood moment? Was this, like... yeah, this was midnight in a strange Italian town with a lot of people making right. a lot of noise. Right, okay. It was quite dramatic. Yeah. And uh, so there I was, threatening to drop his keys down the drain, and uh, he put my brother's guitar against the wall, go back over there, okay, and then I threw the keys in a gen his general direction, and we grabbed the guitar and we ran into the night, and here we were at midnight in some strange place. But we did actually find the youth hostel in the end. It was all locked up, and we had to kind of throw stones at the shutters to be able yeah. to get in. Um, so it was quite, quite an interesting little episode uh, that uh, if I hadn't managed to grab the keys, he would have escaped with my brother's guitar. And we needed that guitar because yeah. on the ferry to Greece, we played lots of Beatles songs and made enough money to get us to Crete. So, um, you know, the guitar was quite an important part of the little trip. Um, but anyway, I'm sure all Italians are not like this particular no, character. Course, course no, no, no. Um, but it was quite an interesting adventure at the time. All right. Thanks very much, Dad. What do you think of that, James? Pretty hairy, pretty scary. It was, wasn't it? Okay. I, I, I like the fact that you were the, the one who jumped into the car. Oh, can I, 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 more I imagine that you were played by Tom Cruise in that situation for some reason, um, mainly because of the height. So that was my dad's anecdote. And you'll notice there that all the narrative tenses were used um, in the right way, of course. Um, and here's a bit of vocabulary for you. So he said, we got a few good lifts. A lift is uh, when someone takes you somewhere in a car. For example, can you give me a lift to the station? So we got a few good lifts because they were hitchhiking. He said, the, this car pulled up. Okay, if a car pulls up or when a car pulls up, it means that it stops by the side of the road. Okay, also we use the expression to pull over. So the car pulled up, meaning the car stopped by the side of the road. Uh, he said he was a slightly dodgy character. And dodgy means untrustworthy or suspicious. He said the car broke down, which you probably know. If a car breaks down, it means it just stops working. Um, he talked about the way that the neighbours turned on him. 
and they said, what are you doing? So to turn on someone, not to turn someone on, that's something else, but to turn on someone means to suddenly start criticising or attacking someone. In this case, the neighbours were curious, okay, they were curious neighbours listening to the argument, and after a while, they turned on the guy, meaning they decided that he was wrong, and they started criticising and arguing against him. Um, My dad said, I managed to jump in and grab the keys from the ignition. All right. First of all, to manage to do something. This is an important verb structure. If you manage to do something, it means that it was difficult, it was a challenge, but you did it. Okay. So I managed to jump in and grab the keys from the ignition. Uh, also, the word ignition, this is the part of the car where you put the keys in order to start the car. Okay. For example, I can't believe you left the keys in the ignition. All right. Um, And um, then my dad said, I dangled the keys over a grating or I dangled the keys over a drain. To dangle something over something is to hold something in the air so that it swings from side to side slightly, you know. For example, we sat on the edge of the bridge with our legs dangling in the air or I dangled the keys over the drain. Okay, so that was my dad's story. And we're going to move straight on to the last anecdote in this episode. And this is um, my anecdote. And this is about an experience I had once when I was living in Liverpool. So here is my Liverpool story. Okay, Luke, it's time you gave us your anecdote. Okay. You've probably heard this before, but I've never told this on the podcast before. This is when I was living in Liverpool in um, the second year, living in quite a rough part of town and it was like a Tuesday evening or something and uh, I lived in this big house with a group of other people and um, it was just a normal Tuesday evening I think we were trying to get some work done or not maybe we were avoiding doing some some writing or something and um, uh, there, there was a knock at the door and one of the girls went to answer the door and she I think she screamed Um, and then I realized there was some sort of commotion going on in the hallway and I came into the hallway and there was this guy, he, the girl had let him into the hallway and he was covered in blood and he was totally soaking wet from head to toe and he was shivering and he was in a really, really bad state of panic and he was really not, you know, he was quite hysterical and crazy. And he came in, he was really, really um, sort of uh, panicked and stuff. And we sat him down on the stairs. The staircase was just there in the hallway. And yeah, he'd basically, he'd been, he'd had his legs and arms tied up. Um, and in fact, I think his arms were still tied behind his back uh, with um, like cable, electrical cable. Um, and yeah, he was soaking wet and bleeding from all sorts of different places. He'd bled all over our front door. And um, we called the police, um, but it took a while for them to arrive. And it turned out, so after we kind of, you know, tried to look after him and calm him down and everything, uh, he told us what had happened. And he was scared because he thought he was still in danger. So apparently what had happened is that he'd been at home and these guys had broken into his house. This is his story. They'd broken into his house And they'd sort of kidnapped him and they had been, um, they tied him up and they'd been, they'd filled up the bath with water and they'd been dunking his head in the bath. 
Uh, and they'd been hitting him with machetes, which is why he was cut and bleeding everywhere. And, um, I mean, he said that he didn't know them and it was a random sort of thing, but I think it was a drug-related thing that they owed, that he owed them money. Gang, Gang stuff. You know, there's a lot he of... He could have been a rival definitely. dealer. He could have been a rival dealer or, or just owed them money or something like that. And uh, apparently what happened is they took him out of the house and into the car and... Uh, they were going to take him somewhere and he managed to escape and he ran down through all the alleyways. There was lots of alleyways in the streets and our house was next to an alleyway and he, he just got to the, our front door and sort of bashed on the front door, um, hoping to be let in. And he said that these guys had guns and everything. And naturally we were completely freaked out by this and not just because of the state of the bloke, but the idea that there were people trying to chase him and get him. And so we were, you know, we, we were like, get away from the windows and, and things like that because we thought that someone was going to come in with a gun or something. It was mad. Front door. We closed the curtains and locked the front door and everything like that. And, and, you know, we were like really freaked out by it, waiting for the police to arrive. Then the police arrived and, and they were, you know, suddenly our, our house had loads of police in it. They took him away and everything like that. And uh, it was really crazy really weird and did you find out in the end what happened to him we didn't find out anything else about him the whole thing just as soon as he left our flat that's it it. that was it we never ever heard about it ever again just another little episode in in of of life in liverpool you know just constantly things like that going on in that town uh certainly in the rougher parts on the in the outskirts of the the city not in the city center yeah crazy but i remember that um we all used that as an excuse to hand in our essays late <laughs> cuz we had we had essays to hand in the next morning and we all used that as an excuse you know and we wrote i remember writing it in the application for an extension um, you know, detailed explanation of, you know, how we'd had this guy and we called the police and I couldn't do any work and everything like that. And it worked. I got an extension yeah. on my essay. Well, I would have given you an extension if I'd read that. And I remember trying to make it a good story in the application so that my lecturer would, you know, have some sympathy for me. So it just goes to show that being able to tell a story is an essential thing to be able to do, isn't it? Well, yeah. If you want to delay your essay. Yeah. Well, yeah, just generally for survival. If you want to delay your essay or if you want to explain how you've been kidnapped and had your hands tied behind you, you need yeah. storytelling for that. So what, what was his storytelling? I mean, was it good? Or did you believe it? Or? Oh, some guys are coming around, and, you know, like something like that. Oh, they were. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. They've got to be feet. They've got guns. Oh, you got to help us. That sort of thing. Yeah, it's really, really nasty story. Okay, well, thanks for sharing your anecdotes well, with yeah, me. So they're all a bit dramatic, aren't they? And involve danger, involve threat. Except Mum's story about meeting the, the, the King of oh, Tonga. King of Tonga, that was all sunshine. Very nice anecdote, lovely anecdote. Did you learn anything from, from any of these stories? What, what did King you... of Tonga needed two chairs to be able to sit down. The King of Tonga was fat and he liked, he liked stamp collecting. And he likes stamp James, did you learn anything from your experience? Um, no. <laughs> you did learn but something, but you've forgotten what it is. Okay. Uh, Mum, did you learn anything from meeting the king of Tonga? Not really, no. Oh, great. 
Wonderful. D- James, did you learn anything from Mum's story? No. <laughs> <sighs> Rubbish. He's texting. Why are you always... I'm t- looking at this band. That's <laughs> bugging me now. He's still trying to remember the name of the band that he'd seen in Hastings. Because they were really good. Not, you know, he's not focusing on remembering never to sleep in a strange man's house again. More just, what? but what was, I nearly got, you know, kidnapped by a, a weird lunatic. But what was the name of that band? If you're a band in Hastings, you'd want to be called Battle, wouldn't you? Battle, Battle of Hastings. There is a band called Battle. Is there a band called Battle of Hastings? Battles, yeah. Ah, not the same Did thing, you, is it? That's like bottles. I suppose so. Did you learn anything from your uh, experience, Dad? I learned uh, that you should never get into an unlicensed taxi in Italy. Or indeed in any country, I'd imagine. All right then, well, thanks very much. Okay, so that was my anecdote, and um, not much in the way of vocabulary to go through at this point. Um, I should just point out that uh, my anecdote includes quite a long passage with past perfect. Did you notice that? Uh, There was quite a long bit with lots of past perfect when I described what had happened to the man before he arrived at our front door. Um, A little bit of vocab here, and that is uh, the expression commotion. I said there was some sort of commotion going on in the hallway. And a commotion means a period of noise or confusion or excitement. Okay, there was some commotion going on in the hallway. I said uh, the man uh, ran through all of the alleyways or he had run through all the alleyways. Alleyways are passages between or behind houses. They're like narrow passages that go between houses. So if you, you know, you run through the alleyways in order to escape from someone. And that's it for vocabulary, really, in my story. And that's basically it for this episode. So there you go. I've given you some top tips for how to tell anecdotes in English. Then I've then you've listened to some anecdotes as well. I hope you enjoyed listening to those true stories. Um, and um, what I'd like to ask you at the end of this episode is this. Um, which anecdote did you like the best and why? Okay, simply that. Which anecdote did you like the best and why did you like it? Um, the other thing I'd like you to think about is anecdotes that you... Uh, have that you could develop and learn how to tell in English. Um, I think it's really important to have some anecdotes up your sleeve that you can use in social situations for the reasons that I gave in this uh, episode. Okay, so I'm looking forward to reading your comments about the anecdote that you liked the best and why you liked it. And it might be worth thinking about anecdotes that you have in English. This might be something I will do in the future. I might launch another competition this is just an idea at the moment. I might launch another competition in which I ask you to uh, to record short anecdotes. What do you think about that? That could be fun, wouldn't it? The, Luke, the Luke's English Podcast Anecdote Competition. I quite like that. It's about time for a new competition anyway. Um, all right then. So tell us uh, which anecdotes you liked and why you liked them. Uh, and I'll be back on the podcast very soon. But for now, it's time to just say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.